honored to get to speak to you today uh, in what could be the final time that I stand in front of this church. I've had the opportunity to do that through the years in lots of different environments here on a Sunday morning and then with our students, with our college students, with our kids, just a little bit all over the map, uh, VBS, you name it, and over and over, God has given me the opportunity to minister, hopefully through the word, to his people. And I'm so honored to, to get to do that again here this morning. And yes, I'll use this to my advantage. This is my final time, so listen to it. Uh, I want to share a few personal remarks this morning, uh, maybe give a quick update as well. But most importantly, I want to preach. Open your Bible to John chapter 6. I'll get there in just a minute. Because I have these other things to share, so I need to just jump right in. As, you, as you're flipping to John chapter 6, Pastor Carlos said this just a few minutes ago. I've been here almost 16 years. My wife and I came with no kids, just the two of us. Five kids later, here we are, and we've grown up a little bit. And, I, I, man, I think back to just so many different things we've experienced as a part of this church. I'm going to share a few of those things. But uh, at the end of this service, we're going to uh, have some of our team come up. We're headed to five points. This isn't anything new for our church. You might have missed this over the last year, but over the last year, we've been preparing to see a new church started. We believe that through the planning of churches, that we reach people with the gospel and that this work will lead us to people who need the gospel. And so that's why we're going. That's why you're sending us. And over the last year, we've been preparing for this. And this team will come up. We'll want you to pray over us. And it will be a really special moment for our team. I'm very, very, very proud of just all the people that God's called out to do this. And what they're sacrificing, what they're giving up to say, let's do this together. And so uh, this will mark this moment for us, and I'm, I'm thankful that we, we get to have this moment. So back to, oh, and just, I can't miss this. You can, you can put the other slide up on the screen. If you're saying, Joel, do you still need help? Yes, we need help. Uh, we, we need people who, maybe just a, a few more who might say, like, we're willing to uh, leave Watkinsville and be all in with Five Points Church and make that our church home. We need probably just a few people who would say, we're, we're going to go and do that. Uh, but maybe you're sitting in here, and, and, and probably 99.9% .9 of you are, are this. This is your church home. This is where you need to be. And, but you, you could say, I, I could come help a little. And, and I'm just going to put this out there. Uh, for the first three months, really, we're looking for some people. We're going to have an afternoon service. Our first service is Sunday, January 7th, 4 o'clock. Wesley Center on Lumpkin, and, and we, need a, we need kind of a rotation of people who will come and maybe like one week, uh, you know, uh, help with kids, and then come back the next month for one week and, and help uh, run a soundboard. I, I don't know. We're, we're going to need little things along the way, and so if God might put it on your heart to just help one week for, for three months, uh, or yeah, for those three months, that, that could be incredible if we could have enough people who might just stop by and help us. Uh, so that might be an easy way. You can talk to me about that. You can send me an email. We can figure all those logistics out later. You can also go uh, to fivepointschurch.org or scan that QR code, and, and at the bottom of that page, there's like a list there. So, okay, so just a, a few personal remarks. Just thinking back over the years and what we've experienced in this church, and I think back to 
uh, my first day here, really. I, it goes back to my very first day. And <laughs> I showed up. It was a Monday. I'd never been to church here on a Sunday before coming and, and accepting the, the call to be the youth pastor in 2008 at Watkinsville First Baptist. And I showed up. It was a Monday morning. I'm here for work. And nobody was here. And I was like, are they playing a joke on me? I showed up, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, no one else is here. It's quiet. And, and we didn't have, those tr- have the houses. It was just this building over here. And I, I walk up to the front door where those offices were, and nobody. I think eventually I just sit down against the wall, and I just wait there. I'm like, is anybody going to come? And uh, I see Mr. Pat over there. Miss Nancy comes walking up uh, about, about 30 minutes later and says, I'm sorry, I'm a little late today. I had to go to the post office. <laughs> And I guess on Mondays, people just, you know, came in a little bit later. And so there I was, waiting to get into church to, to start work. And, and th- that was my first day. Um, before, you know, I had never experienced a Sunday here. Uh, when I came in 2008, a lot of you guys might know this and remember this. You know, we didn't have this building. We didn't have the kids' building. We had our worship services over there in the gym, the life building. That's now the student center. And... Uh, and we were, we were growing like crazy, so the services are over there. We have kids, preschoolers, adults, students, all in that chapel building. And we were running out of room. We didn't, we didn't have enough room. And eventually, I think at one staff meeting, I was like, I, I'm going to have to, like, figure something out here. I'm going to put some tents up outside. And so we, we put up uh, tents, like, literally, in the, where the lobby and commons area is. We were setting up tents every Sunday. It got me a taste of church planting, I think. And, um, and we're setting up tents that have flaps and, and heaters because it was in the middle of the winter. And we're putting kids in small groups outside in tents. Uh, I don't know how people kept coming back, but here we were. Uh, and so uh, God's just allowed us to experience so much here. Even, even like when we first arrived, um, you can show that picture. There's, there's Jen and I just, here, youth events. That, that was it. We were experiencing youth events uh, week after week and, and doing all kinds of stuff there. And um, <laughs> we, we didn't have a place to live, though. We moved here in 2008 in the middle of the housing crash. And uh, we were like, we had a house. We couldn't sell it. It took us three years to sell. And, and eventually somebody said, well, you, sh- you could live at the church house. So we had the house that's like down the hill where we, we have the picnic and stuff. And, and so we set up um, a mattress in one of the rooms and, and that was going to be like, we'll just camp out here in between youth events. And, um, and we did that for a little while, but we really quickly learned that that house was really busy. Some of you guys were there all the time. They were, there was like parties and, and, and like showers and, and like, I didn't realize this, you know, like the first, I think the first time I was like headed down the hall and, you know, like it was bedtime and like somebody shows up at the front door, hey, uh, okay, I'm going to go back into my room now. Um, and so uh, we, had, we experienced so much. And then, and then after, uh, it was just the two of us here, we had our first, uh, Jessie, she spent her whole life with this church and has experienced much in this church. And there she is, the little baby. Um, and, and, then, uh, and then we kind of entered into the hurricane years not long after that uh we got into foster care i call it hurricane because i feel like a hurricane is worse than a tornado and so i'm gonna i'm gonna call it that we uh, we started fostering and uh, we had a little one-year-old boy after our first placement who came to live with us and uh this is now our son and he uh he's with us uh a few months later we we take in his uh, half-sister who um 
we didn't know was coming, his, found out his, his mom was pregnant, and then, and then she joins our family, and then a few months later, uh, it, all in that time, we found out my wife was pregnant, and so we added uh, another daughter at that time. So we, within nine months, we added three children to our family. And we have four children, ages four and under. And that was our, that was our hurricane time. And <laughs> just, just unbelievably crazy. And this church just walked beside us. And we, we had care teams. We had people helping us. We had people just supporting us through that time of foster care and taking care of all these children and then adopting them. And then uh, a little bit after that, God brought us our youngest, uh, Raya. And she was born. And you'll see this, this picture of there, there's our whole crew uh, when she was about one years old, and you, you can even see it there, um, she had some significant health challenges. And she was on a feeding tube at that time, and, and uh, we, had gotten her, we had spent a long time in the hospital. And in that season, I just bring this up again, maybe you've heard me say this before, but I have a bad memory. I feel like I'm going to forget a lot of things that have happened through the years. But this moment and this season was so significant into our lives and a marker in my life, speaking to God's faithfulness, and, and it was in this season, we didn't know what was going to happen with her health, we didn't know how we were going to pay the bills, we had these significant uh, uh, bills from, from the hospital at that time, everything in our life broke, you've had those seasons before, our AC broke, our car broke, appliances broke, everything broke in the middle of all this. We didn't say anything, we didn't express our need really, and God just started putting on the hearts of people to come alongside of us, I, I, I promise, it was unbelievable how people just, they would send us a check or they would show up, they'd bring a meal. It was like all these things that happened. And in that season, we had tens of thousands of dollars of expenses. This is just one way that God met our needs. And, and, and he literally gave through God's people like almost to the dollar our needs at that time. And that was the work of God's people. And, and in so many other ways, emotionally supporting us, loving us, growing us up. I just want to say thank you to this church. I want to say thank you to this church for walking beside us, raising us up, discipling us. My kids, I think about through the years what they've experienced here and what God has done here. And I'm so thankful. I think just in the recent years that, of what we've experienced as a church, uh, in the last three years I've served as the executive pastor and walked beside Carlos and, and we've, we've literally hired almost a completely new staff. Uh, we have walked through a pandemic We've walked through hard things as a church together. And God has always been faithful. Like that's what I have to say this morning. God is always faithful. And he takes whatever it is that we have, if we offer it to him, and he does exponentially more. He takes whatever we have in our hands, whatever we're willing to surrender, and he multiplies it. As I think back to, you know, through these years of what we've experienced, and then I think ahead to what God's calling us to, I kept going back to John chapter 6. This, this is a miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only miracle besides the resurrection recorded in all four Gospels. And I think it's because it's such a significant kingdom principle. This is the picture I had in my head. You can put this picture up. This is the picture I had in my head as I thought about the last 16 years and I think about what's ahead. I think about two fish and five pieces of bread. 
And I think about the boy in this story who hands Jesus his two fish and his five pieces of bread, and Jesus does significant kingdom work through that little offering. When I think about myself, I hope you'll start to, like, okay, move into where you're at, your family, who you're around, and you, you think, what do I have to offer the kingdom? I, I, I say to myself, I am the most ordinary person you'll ever meet. <laughs> My personality has nothing to offer. I have no great giftings. I'm not really great at anything. I'm okay at a lot of things, it feels like. And yet, I've handed Jesus, not always, very imperfectly, but I've handed him what's in my hands, and I've seen him do so much. So in John chapter 6, we're going to look there together. I'm going to walk through this story as best I can and as quickly as I can. To think about just this kingdom principle of Jesus multiplying what's in our hands. There's a lot happening here, and John's gospel in particular wants to draw us to the fact that it's the time of Passover. That's significant, I think, because of the way in which John wants to frame this story, and I think it's significant for us as we think about who Jesus is, and that will be the, the final point I'll get to. At Passover was the celebration of God delivering his people out of Egypt. You remember the story in Exodus when Moses came to Pharaoh and through ten miraculous acts, he brought the people who were enslaved in Egypt out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And that final miraculous act, they slaughtered lambs and they put the blood of the lambs over the doorpost so that the angel of the Lord would pass over his judgment. And this Passover is in view as Jesus is there with this group of people, literally, in the wilderness. Moses delivers God's people out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness. And remember the story there in Exodus, as they get out into the wilderness, people are looking for food. They eventually get hungry. We all get hungry eventually. And, and God does this incredible miracle. I, I still, like, I just, one of those you know, like, you read the Bible and it just never gets old. Like, he rains down bread from heaven, manna, and it's there for them to eat. And all of Israel can look back at that story and know how God provided that in the wilderness he gave them bread. So here in John chapter 6, we have all that in view as we see Jesus with a group of people literally in the wilderness. And we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Jesus lifts up his eyes, he sees the large crowd, and the other gospels it makes sure that we, we see that uh, Jesus is having compassion on them, and, and he says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that all these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here. He has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. 
Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. What I want to do now is just take you through each of the person, persons in this story. And I've organized them into these four groups. First, we have the disciples who were stumped, the boy who gave up his lunch, the people who were looking for a king, and the true and better Moses. Let me just take you through each one of these, and that will be kind of the outline as we walk through this story. First, we have the disciples who were stumped. Jesus goes to Philip, and he says, Philip, what do we have to do to feed all these people? And Philip goes right to work calculating what it would take to feed the people. And right there, I'll stop and just say, I'm Philip. Do we have any Philips in the room? We're, we're like those people at heart who like to make plans. We don't like to get caught off guard. We like to think step by step. How are we going to make this happen? I think even uh, in this church planning endeavor that we're, we're working on, my, my immediate thoughts always start there. All right, what's the plan? What are the people we need? What are the steps we need to take? What's the budget we need to build out? And we calculate and we calculate. And, and, and we see that even with uh, Andrew as well. Andrew's like trying to think of a solution. What, what do we do to make this situation better? But Andrew's a little more the social person. You know, there's, there's those of us who sit back and we calculate. And we're like, all right, what's it going to take? And he comes up with like uh, basically a sum that would equal about a half a year's salary for somebody. So he's saying, oh, it's going to be about 250 per person. We're talking 25K, Jesus to get all these people fed. And I don't know if you realize, but we're homeless and we don't, we don't have any money. So what, wh how's that going to happen? We're going to take up an offering here? And, and, and then even then, I mean, just right, our mind goes to the logistics of this. Like uh, we feed a thousand people for a church picnic every year and we have to order that food like a month in advance, okay? Just to start cooking a month in advance. So even if we had the money, how are we going to see this happen? How are we going to feed all these people, Jesus? And Jesus is testing them. Why is he testing them? Andrew says, well, here's this, this boy over here. He's got some food. And, you know, that's the social. He's like, hey, what's, we'll figure it out. Like, who's got food? He's yelling out in the crowd somehow. And he brings up this boy. And, but he says, what is that with so many? And immediately he downplays what's in the hands of this boy. So the disciples are stumped. Their brains can't calculate how to fix this problem. And I want to pause there and just with each one of these people I want us just to kind of have a point of application again this is me I don't know if you identify here with Philip with Andrew as you encounter a task that seems impossible if you're like me and I think if you're like Philip and Andrew you immediately start to just think of all the solutions you can come up with in fact the harder it gets the more I'm tempted to just buckle down, work harder, figure this out in my own way. 
And this is where I bump up against what I know God so often wants me to do. What is that? It's for us to realize this truth. Our job is not to figure out the impossible. Our job is to take whatever it is we have in our hands and hand it to Jesus. Our job is not to figure out the impossible. Right now, if you're in in, in a moment, in, in a place where you're like, I don't know how this is ever going to work out. That's a perfect place for Jesus to go to work. That's where Jesus wants you to stop and just get with him and say, Jesus, here's where I'm at. I'm going to stop working for a minute and just give it to you. I'm preaching this to myself as we think about starting a new church. I'm just like, we're three weeks away. We still need people. And that's why I was saying all that earlier. And, and Jesus is just like, pause, just be with me. And whatever it is you have, just hand it over. And that leads to this boy who gave up his lunch. As I think about this boy who gave up his lunch, I went back and forth on this. This is where my brain, imagination goes a little wild. I was thinking about what, did he want to give up his lunch? Was he willing to give up his lunch? Was he forced to give up his lunch? And, and I went back and forth. I talked with my wife about this, Jennifer. We were, we were, we were, I, my first instinct was to say, no, no, he was probably like back there like, uh, who, what lunch, Jesus? <laughs> He's putting it behind his back. But, you know, my wife brought up a good point as we talked through this. She was saying, you know, Jesus so often illustrated the faith of children and the fact as he welcomed them to himself, there was this childlike faith that would take place. And, and you've seen it maybe in your kids. I, I've seen it in my kids where, you know, there's a real need and you're like, uh, hey, does anybody have this? And the, and the kids are the first to be like, here you go. And so more than likely, this boy, I, I feel like even the mention, the fact that he is a boy, just is, is, could be a signal to the fact that he willingly gives up his lunch. I think about myself in that situation. Maybe the boy was like this too, who knows. But I think about myself in a situation like this. I think about how we're wired in our flesh. And that is to not want to give up things, especially when things are scarce. Anybody remember back to the pandemic? Anybody remember toilet paper? Anybody remember that time when we started hoarding that and selling that like it was gold? Like, we're wired when things are scarce to hoard and just say, you know, I may not have enough, so I'm going to make sure I have enough. What is that? What's happening when we do that? When, when you start to say, I don't know how I'm going to have enough money to pay the bills this month. I don't know how all this is going to work. We start to fear. We become anxious, which is just another form of fear. And what's the command that's repeated the most throughout the Bible? What is it? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Because Jesus knows this, and it's illustrated perfectly in the story right after this story. (laughs) Jesus uh, feeds the 5,000. He sends the people away. He then sends his disciples in a boat across the sea, and then He's praying, and then he comes down off the mountain, and then he walks on the sea. Remember that part of the story that happens right after this one? And Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, call me out. And Jesus calls Peter out. He gets out of the boat. He walks on water. And as Peter walks on water, it's good for a second, but then he starts to look around. He sees the waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and what happens? He starts to sink, and he becomes, he becomes what? Afraid. 
he took his eyes off Jesus. I know in my life, when I take my eyes off Jesus, I'm quick to become anxious, I'm quick to become fearful. I'm quick to think I'll never have enough and I'll never be enough. And this does not line up in the kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, there is always enough. Always. In fact, there's always more than enough. And here's, here's this application point. Our not enough is his more than enough. Our not enough is his more than enough. He takes whatever it is in our hands that like two, two fish, five pieces of bread. This is not going to feed everybody, Jesus. Like, let's just be real about it. And Jesus said, that's enough. That's all I need. So all I needed was for you to give up what was in your hands. I'll take it. And watch me multiply it. That's the kingdom principle that with Jesus, things never run out. He's the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. He's the well that never runs dry. He's, he's the cup that always runs over. And when, when they run out of wine, he just takes water and turns it into wine. That's Jesus. There's always enough. In fact, there's always more than enough. Because you get to the, the last part of this story, the last part of uh, Jesus turning this fish and bread into where they eat and they are fulfilled. They're like, stop themselves. And then there's 12 baskets left over. As Charles Spurgeon says, when Jesus gives, he gives like a king. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. When he gives, he gives like a king. Number three, we have the people looking for a king. Did you notice in verses 14 and 15 that when the people had eaten their fill, they had been entertained all day, but they're ready to go make Jesus king. What they had witnessed that day was quite significant. It says that Jesus was doing great miracles. I mean, imagine this, this huge crowd that's come along to see Jesus here. And, and you're picturing just one by one, people are coming up to Jesus. Here's somebody who's blind. They come up to Jesus. He touches their, their eyes, and they're healed. And they're like, I see, I see, I see. And, and people are freaking out. They're clapping. And then the next person comes up, and they can't hear. And Jesus touches their ear and pff, healed instantly. And maybe like song breaks out. This is where my imagination goes again. Song breaks out, and they're singing this incredible melody or worship. And, and, and it's like this we could do all the time. We love this. Right in this moment, everything that we need, Jesus is fixing. In fact, we didn't have anything to eat. And just like that, Jesus gave us food. This is great. We didn't have to work for it. We, didn't have, we just sat down on the grass. This is, what a setup. And Jesus knows what's in their hearts and why each person is there. And there in verses 14 and 15, it says, they're ready to make him king. And Jesus knows what's in their hearts, right? And he knows that in them wanting to make him king, it's not the kind of king he's come to be. Because he knows that this, these physical needs we have are just that, they're physical needs. And that there's something deeper that he's come to meet, and that is our eternal need for him. So we have the... the 
the people looking for this king and Jesus saying, I've come to meet an even deeper need. And I just want to make this application point. And here's where we fall oftentimes. When we th- what we think we need is oftentimes not actually what we need. <laughs> and here's my testimony. Jesus is all we need. What the people needed was not what Jesus could do for them, but Jesus himself. What we need, and this, this shows up in our prayers when we're like, Jesus, and he cares about these needs. He cares about when I'm saying, God, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I don't know how we're going to get by. I don't know what we're going to do in a few weeks. He cares about those things deeply, but most of all, he just wants to be with us. And so what we think we need is oftentimes not actually what we need. Jesus is all we need. And then fourth, I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see the true and better Moses. There's a really short story in in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4, about Elisha. If you blink, you'll miss it. But it's, it's, it gives us, again, a little context for what happens in this story. Uh, there's a famine in the land. Elisha, the prophet, is there with 100 men, and a guy comes with 20 pieces of bread. And Elisha says, God's told us that he's going to feed all these people with that. And they look around, they're like, how's that possible? And he does. And so in this story, as Jesus feeds the 5,000, we see a true and better Elisha. But not only that, we see a true and better Moses. Um, <laughs> I brought this up earlier. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Moses, in the wilderness had to feed all these people. And he comes to God and he's like, how are we going to do this? <laughs> and God rains down the manna. And here's Jesus in the wilderness again. And he has to show this Moses that you hold up high and, and, and who is a hero of the faith, there's someone here who's greater. Yes, Moses fed those people with bread from heaven, but that was actually God. And right now, I'll show you how I can take what's in your hands and I'll multiply it out. But let me just take it one step further, okay? Because just as Jesus was in the wilderness multiplying the bread and the fish right then and feeding the people, it pointed, just as John helps us understand in the context of the Passover, it pointed us to an even greater reality. That Jesus, in a short time, would go to the wilderness of the cross. And he would become the kind of king that he knew we actually needed. And he, on the cross, in the wilderness of all that suffering, would hold nothing back. When we're tempted to hold back, Jesus never holds back. He always gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he never runs out. And on the cross, he endured that suffering because of his fierce love for us. So it's my opportunity this morning just to invite you into this gospel story again. To just sit in it this morning and to know that Jesus is always enough. Our not enough 
means nothing in his kingdom. His economy is completely different. There's a quote I read this week, and here's one I want to draw you back to today. Because to enter into the gospel story means surrender. It means to take up your cross. It means to realize that what Jesus did for us, he calls us to do. One of the commentators I read this week, here was his quote. Bruce Milne said, the key beyond our believing in God's ability and will to use us lies in the wholeheartedness surrender of our surrender to him. There's that word wholehearted that's meant so much to us over the years. Are we willing to give up everything for Jesus in exchange we get everything? That's my testimony. If I have anything to say this morning, if there's anything good that I have, it's the fact in which I have said to Jesus imperfectly but over and over, Jesus, you have everything. And so many in this room, I've seen you do the same. I've seen you put everything you have in the hands of Jesus. But he's calling some of you right now. He's calling you out. There may be somebody here who needs to say yes to Jesus right now and give your life to him completely and totally and ask him to forgive you of the sins in your life and in exchange give you new creation. Lord, I, I pray now as we sing this song, about how you are more than enough, you are everything, would we place all that we are in your hands? We surrender everything over to you. God, it's yours. If there's people holding back, maybe they're holding on a little bit, God, I don't wanna give that up right now. Move them to a place of surrender. Move them to a place where they know there's something better waiting on them. You're waiting on them, Jesus. So we sing this song, God, work in our heart. May we do business with you, pray with you. God, change us right now. And in your name, we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.